uh, at the beginning of first service, it was I had this weird thing happen to me, uh, which, by the way, you guys are way livelier than first service. So don't tell them I said that. Um, but uh, you see, um, and scarier. Um, but I, uh, I, I had like numbness in my fingers. Like I couldn't feel the tips of my fingers. Uh, and I didn't know if like the Holy Spirit was working through me. I didn't, it was just this weird thing. And then I and then I realized because I was talking to my wife, I'm like, I can't feel my. Fa- I don't know if I'm going to be able to scroll through my iPad. And uh, and then I realized what it was. My shirt was too tight. <laughs> and and she leaned over and said, No, that's not the reason. So then. After service, everybody came up and said, you probably have carpal tunnel. And I'm like, oh, thanks for speaking that into my life. (laughs) Well, we're in the beginning of uh, 21 days of prayer. We're in in week two, at the beginning of week two of 21 days of prayer, as Anna said. And uh, if you weren't with us last week, we talked a little bit about the importance of listening in our time uh, in our prayer time, uh, we talked about, uh, gave you the opportunity actually to write down some pretty big, uh, bold requests that God, uh, petitions that God would do in these 21 days, that you would hear from him, you would put it down on a post-it note, and you'd put it up on the wall. And if you haven't had a chance to do that, there's some post-it notes back on these back tables after service is over. We'd love for you to uh, to participate with us and, and write down what it, what it is that God's speaking to you in these 21 days uh, to contend for, and, uh, and then put that on the wall with us. We've been praying for these throughout the week. Uh, we've, we've decided that this 21 days is going to be a little bit different than past seasons where we've gone through this. In the past, uh, we typically have a sermon series that's already predetermined. Uh, we, have, uh, we inform you on how we're going to be praying throughout the 21 days. We give you prayer points all throughout the week. And the staff, just as we were praying and processing through this, just really felt like this would be a different season for us as a church, that this would be an opportunity for us to listen, to hear from God, and for really us to be directed, go figure, not by ourselves, but really by the direction of the Holy Spirit for uh, our church. And so we asked you to do all of these things, put these up on the wall. And as we started going through all of these petitions and and hearing from the Lord, there was something that kind of rose to the surface, if you will, uh, that, that became pretty evident that uh, was something that I should speak on today. And uh, it was interesting in first service. I don't know why, uh, but in, in first service, my message uh, felt heavy, uh, like, like super serious. I don't know if it was, I, I mean, I don't really joke around. Sometimes I joke around in my message, and this one, I don't joke around a lot, but um, but there was just kind of this heaviness, and I don't know if it's because of the, the nature of the content or uh, whether it's because uh, what we're about to talk about is something that uh, maybe we don't fully understand, and so it's new to us. And uh, whatever the case, I hope that today uh, there's something that clicks in your heart and in your mind about your relationship with God um, I want us to start off, and maybe this is why it was serious, because it started off like super uh, serious, but I want us to start off just imagining something. I'm going to ask everybody to, uh, this may seem weird if you're visiting with us, we don't always have everybody close their eyes at the beginning of service, but I want, I want everybody to just kind of close their eyes for a second, 
And imagine something with me. Uh, this is uh, C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, tells this story. And uh, it's just such a vivid picture of what I believe God is doing in us at Lifehouse. And so I want, I want, just with your eyes closed, I want you to imagine yourself as a house, that you yourself are a living house, maybe even a, a little bit of a worn down house. God comes in to rebuild that house, to refurbish it. And, and at first you can understand what he's doing because he's, he's moving some drains. He's getting some drains, right? He's stopping the leaks because the, the, the roof is leaking in your house and he's stopping the leaks. And you knew that those jobs needed to be done. And so you're not really all that surprised. But then all of a sudden, he starts knocking the house about in a way that, that begins to hurt a little bit. And it doesn't seem to make any sense. Like, well, what, is, what is he up to? He's throwing out a, a new wall here. He's, he's putting on an extra floor. He's, he's raising beams and columns. And, and the explanation is that he's building quite a different house from the one that you thought of. So you thought you were being made into a, a small little cottage, but he's really building a palace because he's come to live in it himself. God's not content. You can open your eyes. God's not content with us just being a little cottage, this meek, nice little thing. He really is wanting to build us and shape us into something that is much bigger. To build us into something that is inhabitable by God himself. That there would be something of some knocking around that needs to take place. Some walls that are pushed out and some beams that are raised in your life. In order to bring you to a place that you've never thought you could or would go. That, that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about allowing God to take us further than we thought that he would. I don't know if you know this, but in the business world, there's, uh, there's really two marketing or sales kinds of uh, processes that are being debated right now. And, uh, and the, the name of them are uh, transactional and relational, that these are, are kind of business sales approaches where in the transactional, it's very professional uh, it's in, in your self-interest, it's what you get, it's understanding the process, and it's judging, uh, the re- judging by the results, you know, whether or not you make the sale. In the relational, it's really based more on friendship or a friendliness. It's based upon mutual interests, uh, not necessarily what you, what you uh, get, but what you give. It's understanding the person in the process, and it's evaluating not the results, but it's actually ends up evaluating the relationship that you have. Now, one of the things that we have kind of, especially in our culture in America, have fallen prey to is a culture that's, that's treating prayer in a transactional way. I present myself to God in a, in a professional manner. I know the process because I, I hear it at church all the time. I, I bow my head. I close my eyes. I, I might even get a little bit of, of worship music going. Uh, and then uh, I present my self-interest, I mean my petitions, uh, to God. And, and, and then I, I judge it based upon the results, what I, what I get from it. And it makes sense, honestly, because we, we, 
that, that's the culture that we live in. Every one of us in this room, I mean, if we're being honest, if there's, uh, you know, within reason, most of us can, if there's something that we want, we can go get it, right? If, if, if you want steak for dinner tonight, because of the culture that we live in, you can go to HEB, obviously if it's within your means, and, and be able to hand over some money, receive the steak, go and cook it, and have it for dinner. If I want a new iPhone, I can go down to the AT&T store, or the T-Mobile store, renegotiate my contract, pay a little bit of money, and walk out of there with an iPhone. It's, it's transactional. Everything in our culture is transactional. And so it would make sense that that would bleed into our prayer life, that we often treat prayer and our relationship with God in this transactional manner. I'll go to church. I'll sing the songs. I'll even give a little bit of my money, and then I'll receive what I want. I want to read to you Matthew 6, 31. So, so maybe, it was, maybe it's uh, heavy because it feels a little like, why are you being so mean to us right now? Uh, this is really something that I, I believe we all need to hear, myself included. Matthew 6, 31. So don't worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans, they, they run after all these things. And here's a key point. Your heavenly Father... He knows that you need them, right? He, he knows that you need food. He knows that you need clothes to wear. He, he gets all of that. And I'm not saying we don't ever pray for God's provision in our life or any of those things. I'm just saying that, I'm not just saying, the scripture is just saying that the Father knows that you need them. But then Jesus says something interesting. He said, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all of these other things will be added to you as well. So First and foremost, we have this responsibility to seek him first. To, to stop treating the relationship as transactional and start treating it as relational. Start treating it as though it's a relationship with God and not an ATM. See, our idea and concept of of transactional versus relational, we can say that. We can say, yeah, we, we need to have a relationship with God. But then I, as I started double-clicking on this, I started thinking, you know what? That's part of the problem, too, is we don't really fully understand relationships, right? We, we kind of treat relationships somewhat transactional as well, our, our, our personal relationships. We, uh, we, it's kind of a skewed understanding. We have a lot of relationships. We have a lot of acquaintanceships. But do we have intimacy with people? I, I would even argue that most of us don't even really understand what intimacy means, James understood this in James chapter 4, verse 8. He, he understood this when he not only tells us how to approach God, but then he gives us a promise. And he says in James 4, 8, he says, draw near to God. If you do that, if you draw near to him, if you draw near to God, guess what the promise is? He will draw near to you. But when James wrote those words, he knew what drawing near to God meant. And yet we find ourselves oftentimes, we hear the language, we hear the Christianese that's out there, and, and it's like, draw closer to God, draw near to God, have an intimacy with God. And we're like, I don't even know what any of that means. 
See, for James, when, when he writes that, he's, he, he recognizes that that word near actually means, in the Greek, it means an immediate imminence. It means as close as you possibly could be. That when you draw near, when you draw as close as you possibly could be with God, then God will intimately press into you. What I want to share with you today is that intimacy with God is available to all of us. It's, it's as accessible to us as his promises are in Scripture. And God's invitation for us to in, enjoy this intimate fellowship with him is the thing, is the thing that will put our faith to the test more than anything else. James 1, 2 through 4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. By the way, I apologize. Uh, I got these scriptures up like total last minute, so if it's a different translation on the screen than what I'm reading, I apologize. That's not their fault, it's mine. So what is intimacy? Right? What, what does that even mean? Like, okay, intimacy, I think... Uh, most of us, when we hear the word intimacy, we equate it to relations in a marriage, right? What does it mean to have an intimate relationship with another person? Well, intimacy is what we call the experience of really knowing and being known by another person. I think Jeremy has used the, uh, the definition, uh, into me you see, right? That that that's intimacy, that you can see into my life, you know what's going on in, in my life. And an intimate friend is someone that we feel very close to, but there lies a problem for us. We often use spatial language when it comes to describing this experience, right? When, when we say an intimate friend is someone that we feel very close to, that's a spatial word, like, like we are in proximity. They know us at a very deep level. If something happens to that relationship or that friendship, guess what? They feel distant from us. Or if they don't know us deeply, then they know us at a superficial level. So we have to understand that intimacy is not spatial, but it's relational. You know this because you could be sitting right next to somebody and, and not feel close to them. You can have a relationship with someone who's 4,000 miles away and feel close to them. See, intimacy is not spatial, it's relational. So what makes us feel intimate with another person? There are lots of ingredients to intimacy. Each intimate relationship has a different recipe to it. But what's interesting is all of the recipes for intimacy include one common thing, and it's trust. You can't be intimate with a person that you don't trust. So trust is at the heart of intimacy. The more we trust someone, guess what? The closer we let them get to us. The degree to which trust is compromised in a relationship is to the degree that intimacy begins to evaporate. And this is as true in our relationship with God 
as it is in our relationship with other human beings. Our experience of God's nearness and God's, our experience of God's nearness or distance is not a description of his actual proximity to us, but rather our intimacy with him. Scripture shows us that, that God is intimate with those who trust him. And the more we trust God, the more intimately we come to know him. So, so what's the cause of, of, of a felt distance from God? Well, it's often due to a disruption in our trust of him. This reality is really important for all of us to understand. Because as Christians, we want intimacy with God. We believe what Psalms talks about. For me, it is good to be near God. We want to be near God. No one in the room that's a follower of Jesus would say, yeah, I'll keep my distance. No, we we want to be near. The challenge, though, is that sometimes we, we seek ways that don't produce intimacy. We think that they will, but they don't. And I'll explain what I mean. One mistake that, uh, that we make is thinking that uh, nearness to God can actually be achieved by knowledge, by information. Now, of course, in order to be intimate with God, you have to know who it is that you are in relationship with. Of course, that's true. But Jesus even said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. He pointed out that there are many people who they don't even know who they worship. So I'm not talking about not knowing who our Heavenly Father is, but never in the history of the church has there been so much access to theology. Never in the history of the church has there been access to sermons online and uh, Bible translations and interviews and movies and documentaries and worship music and And all of that's really good, and it's all stuff that we could be thankful for. But if we're being honest, when you look around, especially in our culture, you don't see a lot of the Enochs of the Bible, right? Some of you don't even know who I'm talking about in Enoch, but I'm talking about the guys who who walk with God in a profoundly intimate way. And the question is, why? If we have all of this knowledge and all of this information Why are we not closer? Why are we not in this intimate relationship with God? And the answer is because knowledge is not synonymous with trust. Because intimacy comes from trust. That's why Jesus said to the religious leaders of his day, these guys had all the knowledge, all the answers, all the information. And he says in John chapter 5, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is that they bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. See, biblical knowledge is is valuable if it fuels our trust in God. Because trust then fuels intimacy. But when biblical knowledge replaces our trust in God, all it does is fuel our pride. Another common mistake is trying to achieve intimacy with God through experiences. You could call it the, uh, the field of dreams syndrome. If you build it, he will come. If you create the environment, then he will show up. 
right? Some, some pursue this in uh, high liturgical environments where it's very ritualistic and uh, formalized and, and, and it's established. You establish that in the sense that you're going to inspire an experience with God, Others pursue this in contemporary worship forms where if we sing the right songs, if we dim the lights, if we do this, then it's an environment for God to come and then I can experience intimacy with him. Others chase uh, revivals thinking that the proximity to God's power will result in proximity to God. But here's the thing, if we truly trust God, then it doesn't matter what environment you are in, you can, they can, those environments can actually encourage our intimacy with God. See, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with any of those environments. What I am saying is if you think that that has to be the place that you experience intimacy with God, you are missing out so much in your relationship with him that we can walk out these doors this morning and experience intimacy with God. Think of it like this. You're sitting at a, at a table across from your spouse or your significant other, whatever your case is. You got candlelights, music's playing. It's a nice pasta dinner. It's romantic, right? It's, you've created an environment for intimacy, but I can assure you that if you don't trust the person that's sitting across the table for you, from you, there will be no intimacy. The environment doesn't dictate the intimacy with God. Trust is the fuel for our intimacy with him. The secret to drawing near to God and him drawing near to us is revealed clearly in Scripture. We draw near to God through faith in Christ, who alone gives us access to God. And we put our trust in all of his great promises, which find their yes and amen to us in Christ. It's Hebrews, it's Philippians, it's 2 Peter, it's 2 Corinthians. We find intimacy with God when we put, when we surrender all, when we put our trust in him and our faith in him. God's really not all that impressed with our works, with our accomplishments. We see it time and time again in scripture that, that we're saved by faith, not by works. And so it is our faith that impresses him. See, where faith is lacking He's, he's not pleased. He's not pleased with the, the quantity of our knowledge or the quality of our environments. Instead, it is impossible, Scripture says, to please him without our faith. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So when God sees someone whose heart fully trusts him, trust him and his promises, begins to live that out in their life, God comes strongly to support that person and manifest himself to him. I'll give you a scripture for it. John chapter 14, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me and he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. God doesn't want part of us. 
God doesn't want to just come and answer these post-it notes on a, on a wall. He wants intimacy with his children, with the people that he loves. Jesus did all the hard work in this situation. He did it on the cross, right? We, we sang about it earlier. We, we sang about the fact that what he has done on the cross has set us free to be in an intimate relationship with God. All he requires is that you believe in him. He just wants you to trust him with all your heart. Which means, and this is the hard part of all this, his invitation to intimacy, for us to enjoy intimacy with him. The things in your life that are testing you, the things in your life that are are testing you to have faith more than ever, that is his invitation. The challenge is this, is that we must trust God most right now for those things. It's in these things that we've put up on the wall. It's in these most difficult circumstances and situations where our trust has to be strengthened, where we have to release it and say, God, I trust you in this. And you know what? It's in those trust moments that you are are most close to him. That's where intimacy is established. The problem is, is our flesh doesn't like it. It's uncomfortable. We honestly, just as people, we are self-reliant people. Let me rephrase that. I am a self-reliant person. I don't like to depend on anybody. I don't. I like to depend on myself. In fact, I'm not even an awesome team player because I'm like, yeah, I, I know it's right, but I can do it better. I mean, that's in my mind, right? It's unhealthy. Don't be like me. But, but there's something in our flesh that's like, I don't want to trust somebody else for this. I don't want to depend on somebody else. No, no, I, I'll figure it out. Whatever the circumstance, whether it's a physical ailment or whether it's a marriage situation, it's like, no, I'm going to white-knuckle this. I'm going to figure it out. And so we go through our life trying to do it ourselves because our flesh says, I don't want to put that in God's hand. I I don't want to trust him for that. But as we read our Bible, we would all agree with James and Peter that says, the greatest testing of faith is the path to greatest joy. We're miserable because we won't trust God for the things in our life. We're unhappy because we're trying to do it ourselves, and we're trying to hold on to these things and figure it out on our own instead of just releasing it and trusting God to take it. See, intimacy with God often occurs in the places where we have to trust him the most. I want you to hear a story from, from Pastor Jeremy about an experience he had recently and, and the lessons that he learned from, uh, from, from how to just put his trust in God. Uh, and he's going to share a little bit of a story. It's just an amazing, miraculous story. Jeremy, why don't you come and share with us? All right. Hey, everybody. It's good to... Uh be able to, to share a little bit with you. Um, prayer is is an interesting thing, amen? It's something that I don't think anyone has quite figured out. 
um, Amy and I, we are very different in our prayer lives. So like when we are going to the grocery store or going shopping, she's the one who prays for the parking spot. And she has such faith. I'm glad I married her because she has such faith that God's going to give her an amazing parking spot. I'm the guy who's like, nah, God wants me to get the exercise. <laughs> like, I'm convinced of that. Or he wants me to leave it for someone who needs that spot more than, I don't know. I mean, there's just a difference in personality and difference in the way we see prayer. But I'll be honest, I've struggled with the idea of prayer for a long time. And I think that maybe for the first time in my life, I haven't figured it out by any means. But God's brought me to this place where I believe with all my heart that it is 100% about relationship with God and about intimacy with him. See, for so long, my prayer life was like one of the most uh, frustrating experiences in modern times, and that is drive-thrus. I don't know if you've experienced that, but they're so frustrating to me. They can never hear me, and when they do, they think I'm a woman. They call me ma'am. My family thinks it's hilarious. It's not. And so, like, now I literally will go through drive-thru, yes, I'd like a Big Mac, and But it's so frustrating. And then you get up there, and half the time they get your order wrong, right? I think prayer so often can feel like that, where we just don't know if God can hear us. The connection's bad. It's probably our fault that the connection's bad. He probably doesn't really want to hear from me. We think that a lot of times, don't we? We think that he's upset with us. And then we just kind of throw it out there. We're like, okay, well, if you 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 want to, if if you get the order right, great. If not, that's okay, too. But but once we, we... dismiss that kind of thought and we come back to this idea of intimacy that Pastor Ryan's talking about, it changes everything because intimacy is is getting to a place where when we pray, and this is a huge thing that I've learned, when I pray, I pray more for just for God, for more of him than I do for the things that I need from him. Does that make sense? I think about when my kids come to me and when they snuggle up real tight and I get put my arm around them, first I'm shocked. I'm like, what do you, what do you need? <laughs> you know, like that's the first thought that we have. But when they do it and there's no reason, I love that. And I love just to give them myself. And it's not always just about them asking from me. It's about them receiving me and receiving who I am in their life. And that is protection and guidance and life. And so often we want to be taken out of a situation. So that's our prayer. Like, God, just take me out of this. Make it stop. But then we miss out on the journey that God invites us into. Every time we pray, essentially what we're doing is saying, God, I want to take a journey with you. Because he's not always going to take us out of the situation you're in. Because he wants to walk through it with us so that when you get to the other side and you're all dinged up and you're like, wow, that kind of hurt a little bit, you get to look back and you get to see, well, But God was there the whole time, and he sustained me, and he taught me. And even Paul said, I rejoice in my sufferings. Why? Because it produces character and and perseverance and hope. So oftentimes in our our prayer, it is so transactional. It's so much about, I'm just going to throw it up there, and I hope God gets my order right. And if he doesn't, then I'm probably not a good person. How many of you ever thought that before? I have. And so I think that what God wants to change in us is, number one, that we focus on God himself rather than what We want from him. I think that's huge. I think once we begin to do that, then everything begins to come into perspective. You know what I mean? Like there's a new perspective. It's not like, why didn't God give me what I wanted? We switch from that to, wow, I see that God did this way different than I thought he was going to do it. Because his ways are higher. His ways are better than mine. And that is where trust is developed. Uh, Number two thing I've learned 
and these are just really quick, two and three, is, is just discovering how close God is. Jesus said that, that I am in you as you are in me. There's nothing closer than that. And the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. So when we're like, oh, God, where are you? Where have you gone? And we're so dramatic about it. He's like, I never went anywhere. Where have you gone? I think that's how he responds says, because our hearts are so, poor, so, so prone to wander. And so when we wander, we find ourselves out, and we're just like, where did God go? Well, he's still the same. He's never left us. He's never forsaken us. He's always there. And then the final thing is, one of the things that I try to do in my life, I just try to pray all the time. I feel like the more I pray, the more I recognize that his presence is always with me. So whether I'm driving in the car, I'm not a kind of, I don't like to go to prayer meetings. Because I just sit there, and Pastor Ryan talked about this last week, where he starts to pray, and then before long, he's thinking about a sandwich. I'm the same way. And there's an evangelist that said that he never prays more than 10 minutes ever, but he also never goes 10 minutes without praying. I think that that's more my life. And the Bible says pray without ceasing. And when we do that, pray without stopping, we recognize on a daily basis, on a every single minute basis, that God's with us and that he never leaves us. So the story I want to share, cool testimony, uh, this just happened. It, it's blow, it blew my mind. I had a friend when I was 10, 11, and 12 years old, actually, and beyond that. I lived in Monrovia, California, and my next-door neighbor was named Clifford Brown. He was my age, and we became best friends. We were, we were just inseparable. We loved to hang out with each other. We did everything together. He spent so much time with our family. We used to invite all the neighbors over to my house, and, and uh, with lawn chairs, they'd sit outside, and the garage door would open, and we'd do, like, Michael Jackson routines for them, and we were really good. Um, but we just were really good friends, so much so that when we moved to Colorado, he came the next two summers and spent the summer with us in Colorado. Well, over time, we just lost contact with each other. And it's been in the last six or seven years where I've just had such a strong desire to find him. And uh, so I search on, on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, the World Wide Web, uh, just everywhere I can to find him, and I've never been, been, been successful. One reason is Clifford Brown is a famous jazz artist, so that's all that ever comes up. Um, but I could just never find Clifford Brown. So about six months ago, I, was, I did the search all over again. I'm like, I just feel like I'm supposed to find my friend Clifford. And so I searched everywhere. Uh, my mom can attest to this. I was texting her. She sent me pictures of when we were together back in Monrovia, California, and, uh, and, and still, no success. So, I felt something so interesting in that moment. And this is all just through relationship with God. I felt in that moment like God just wanted me to know that he wanted this to happen. And so, in that relationship, it, wasn't, it didn't feel at all like going through the drive-thru. It felt like God was just sitting next to me. It felt like I was the little child and his arm was around me. I just felt like he said, you know what, I, I want this to happen too. And I was like that's great. God, so please, I'm just, I'm asking you right now, because I believe that this is supposed to happen, that you would make this happen in a miraculous and an awesome way. So six months later, now during this six months, I just, I, sometimes I'd forget about it, but other times I felt like God would just reveal things about Clifford to me. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but when you're praying for someone, a lot of times he'll show you things about those people. And I just, re- I, I felt like over these last six months that, that he wanted to connect us because Clifford needed me in his life at this time. So about whenever we went to camp a month ago, a month and a half ago, we were in Luters, Texas with our church and the, the youth of our church. And so we led worship one night. After the service, this man walks up to me who I've never met in my life. 
And he comes up to me and says, hey, I, I, feel, I just feel like God has a word for you. I'm supposed to give you this word. And so I said, great. And, and so he gave me this word, and he gave me a Bible verse. And he said, I don't know why you, but I just felt like it was supposed to be for you. And so I said, well, cool, that's great. And I received it as an encouraging word. And, and nothing, nothing life-changing, I didn't feel like, but I, I, I thought it was, it was great. And so later that night, all the staff gets together to eat some snacks. And so I walk into the room where everybody's at, I grab my nachos, and I look around to see where I'm going to sit. Well, I see Tony sitting at this table all by himself. And uh, part of my personality is there's just no way I cannot go over and sit with the person that is sitting by themselves. And I'm not bragging about that, but it's just like part of people pleasing or whatever. But anyways, I look over and I see him and I just felt the strongest sense that God said, I want you to go and sit with this man, with Tony. And so I go sit down with him. And if and, and we would have never had this conversation if he hadn't come up to me and given me a word from God. So I sit down with him and we start talking. I said, so where are you from? He says, well, I grew up in Monrovia, California. And I said, really? I went to elementary school in Monrovia. And he said, really? You went to Mayflower? I said, yes. And he says, well, I lived a block away from Mayflower on Melrose. I said, I lived on Melrose. He said, where did you live? I said, I lived about halfway up on the left. And he said, I lived about halfway up on the left. And I'm sitting there, my heart's starting to beat. And I said, hold on a second. Give me the address that you lived at. So he tells me the address. I put it in my phone, in the maps. And the, the dot comes up right on the house next door to us where Clifford Brown lived. Now, he's a lot older, this Tony, this Tony man, uh, who my parents actually have known for years. We didn't even know it. He's older, so now I'm thinking, well, this is just a random coincidence. He lived there maybe at a different time than we did. Uh, there's no way that this is any way related. But I thought, maybe I should still ask. So I said, is there any chance, I know this is a weird question, is there any chance you know the name Clifford Brown? And he looks at me, and he just pauses for a second, and he says, Clifford Brown is my stepbrother. And I'm just like, mind blown. <laughs> right? Listen, out of the 300 and however many million people that live in the United States, could this be just a coincidence? I don't think so. Because this stuff has happened to me before. But here's what I want to tell you. It all happened through just relationship with a father who just, I mean, I'm just sure that God is like, oh, yeah, this is it. This is the night. I'm going to send this random weird guy up to you to give you this word that doesn't really mean a whole lot. But it, and then you're going to sit with them and eat nachos, and you're going to discover Clifford Brown. Now, here's the coolest part of the story. Over the last six months, I felt like God has shown me that Clifford needs me in his life. We found out that very night through his sister that he that day checked himself into rehab He's had a difficult time. He just went through a divorce. He's got six children. He's got a lot of difficult things going on in his life. Since he's gotten out of rehab, I've been able to reconnect with him, and I've been ministering to him these last couple weeks since we've been, been reconnected. Um, it's, it's almost as if time didn't even pass, that we were the same little boys. And I believe in such a childlike faith that way with our father, that we would become like children, that we're never afraid to ask Never afraid to reach out and say, Daddy, pick me up, because it's all about relationship. It's all about intimacy. And I think the older we get, I think the more we lose that. But let me just finish with this. I believe in God's timing. 
I believe that he knew this was the exact time that he wanted this to happen. I believe it because this is when Clifford needed me the most. And I also believe in, in what Ryan has been talking about and his trust. Bible says those that wait on the Lord will renew their strength. The other translation says those that trust in him will, re, will renew their strength. They will, they will uh, soar with wings as eagles. They won't get tired. And I believe that's just such a picture of just the trust that we put in God and how when we do that, he blows our minds and just the way that he does it. But it's all through relationship and intimacy. Can, so can we just say God is good this morning? God, you are good. Praise you, Lord. It's, it's easy for us to uh, hear a story like that, and, and it's a pretty, pretty amazing, uh, miraculous story, but uh, it's easy for us to hear something like that and, and, and still in our, in our minds think, yeah, but, right? Yeah, that, that's a great story, Jeremy. Uh, we really appreciate you sharing that. I think you meant a Whataburger with cheese, not a Big Mac, Troy, but... But it's easy for us to say, yeah, that's great for Jeremy because he has this intimate relationship with God. But, but what, about, what about my thing, right? I'm, I'm praying for my marriage that it doesn't end in divorce. I'm praying for peace in my family that I might find peace in my family. Uh, it's praying for My son's spiritual awareness and love of God. That he would, that God would teach me to lead my family in the way that God's asking me to. That God would speak to me and tell me how to lead and love my husband and my children. Like when we start talking about those things, it's like, okay, Jeremy, that's a great it's a great experience and it's a great story, but I think our minds inherently, our flesh is like, yeah, but what about my situation? You know, how do I, how do I trust God with, with my marriage? How do I trust God with, with my cancer? How do I trust God with, with this illness? How do I trust God with, with whether or not I don't even know if my marriage is going to last through the end of the year? Like, how do I, I don't, I, listen, I, I don't, I don't know the answer other than to say, that it is trust that's required. It is a coming to the Lord and saying, I am going to give this to you. I'm, I'm surrendering it to you. And I, and I just believe with all my heart, as Jeremy experienced this intimacy and this closeness with God, when he releases that trust over to him and saying, you know what, God, I give you Clifford whenever you want that to work out, whenever that's going to happen, I believe it's in your heart, so you, you make it happen. It's saying that, that, that we're going to trust God. God, I don't, I don't know how this is going to end up with my cancer, but I'm going to, I'm going to give it to you, and I'm going to trust you in it. And it's in those moments where our trust is given over to God that we experience the intimacy with him like we've never experienced before. That all of a sudden, it's in those moments that intimacy becomes a reality for our life. There's this picture and this idea of, of heaven on earth being this inexpressible joy. And Philippians talks about a peace that surpasses all understanding, that 
that regardless of whatever you've put up on the board, whatever circumstance or situation that you've put up on the board, that in the midst of that, that there could be inexplicable joy and peace that comes into your life. Scripture says that that comes from trusting God wholly, completely. I want us to do this. I'm going to invite, uh, invite you to pray with me. I'm going to ask the ushers to get ready. They're going to, they're going to come and receive our offering, and, and then we're going to sing together, and I'm going to give you some instructions about the song that, that we're going to close our time with.